When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with... Co-host, Catherine Brandt. Andy Brandt-Bernard. Mike Molina. And Doug Sprinthal. And we'll be right back. Uh, some interesting stories. We were talking about this, how Haiti became poor... And we'll talk about it next. A great guest coming up again this hour. Thank you again to uh, all of our guests today. Terrific. terrific. I, I love having good guests on. I do. Always have. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Uh, I mentioned this in the top of the first hour, and I'd just talk about it again. We've, the company's gotten really quite big in the last year and a half, and we've got 26 franchises in two different states. It can be confusing, especially in the new car world, where there's so many options uh, in terms of what vehicle to buy, financing, lease options. If you're looking from some, for some unbiased advice, it's like having 26 kids. I can't have favorites. Um, I'll try to answer your questions as best I can. If we've done something wrong in one of our stores, please reach out to me, and I'll do what I can to fix it. Easy to get a hold of. It's Doug at Walzer.com. That's everything? That's everything. I'm getting hate Walzer mail from Michael Bryant for having commercials too long. So <laughs> tried to make him short. Well, he could, call, he could call in and do his commercial. He, you know, he don't, don't let him get away with that. Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. always do this to me so i won't talk what you play great songs you play great oh, yeah. songs that i don't want to talk over you know what i mean i know exactly what you, you mean the, i've heard that song five thousand times and it still sounds great it yes. does doesn't it yeah i mean it's just it's wonderful music it sounds absolutely terrific i uh yeah i really enjoy that so you do that to me on purpose so i won't talk over over the uh, music i know you do it it's your fault. I could not believe today when I was reading a list of songs that are now 20 years old. The Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson is 20 years yeah. old already. It's not surprising to me. I associate it with uh, you singing that when I was like 10, so it makes sense. So you, you associated it with me uh, talking about it? Pretty much. Singing it? It's like uh, California Love was around that era, I think, because I was pretty young at the time. Well, you mean playing it in the car? I wouldn't. I'd sing no. along with it in the car. Well, yeah. I don't know. 
things you know. like that. Uh, King Nothing, that was around that era. King Nothing was in that same era. Yeah, there was a lot of songs. There was like, you know, a handful of songs uh, that I remember you listening to a lot back then. It's funny, they changed the name of Britney Spears' song that just turned 20 years old, too. It's now just called Baby One More Time. Oh. Oh. Because hit me means something else now. Hit me means something else now. Now it's no longer hit me baby one more time, just baby one more time. That's kind of dumb, but whatever. A little editing. <laughs> A little editing there. Uh, pretty fascinating, I think, though, don't you? I mean, it's yeah. possible it was always called that. And No, it was not. When it was released, it was called hit me baby one more time. Well, that's what she says. Yeah, I know. But uh, this says it was always just dot, 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 baby, one more time. Lies, lies across no, the I, board. Well, Let here's, me just here's the uh, fake album news. cover. And fake news. She, <laughs> fake news, that's all there is. It's Photoshop. Could you, speaking of fake news, by the way, can you believe that one uh, reporter talking to the, uh, was he an, an, he's a rear admiral, something like that, the, the doctor who did the exam on President Trump, and he did the exams on President Obama, also uh, President Bush, George W. Bush. He's been around for quite some time. I have never seen anything like that. I'll, I didn't I'll, I'll I, I haven't seen report. it. I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. you haven't seen it? No. It's unbelievable. There are people ask, well, is he a drug addict? Is uh, President uh, Trump a drug addict? Does he have uh, dementia? They're just desperately uh, grasping at straws for a way to get him impeached. And he just kept saying, it's like, no, I I did a full exam on him. He's in great shape. He needs to lose about 15 pounds, 20 pounds maybe, 10 to 15, he said. Uh, Cognitive skills are right on the money. Seriously, it's so pathetic. Somebody that they were like, oh well, well maybe. But I gotta he ask has, you. you know, I gotta he, ask if you. If he Tom, needs to lose ten pounds, yeah. I got a thirty-eight inch vertical. <laughs> Come yeah. on. Well, do you, do you really think he's six three and two thirty-nine? Yeah. No. Well, I yeah. mean, he is like what, almost eighty, and I think you're. Oh, expect- I, think he's 70, I think he's seventy. Well, whatever. Nine you're ex- you're expected to be, you know, Andy. not the most healthy person in the world when you're in your seventies. But if you calculate so his it's, BMI, it's right at twenty-nine point nine nine nine, and thirty is like. Oh, that's yeah. pretty yeah. high. Yeah. 30 is obese. That's yeah. like the cutoff. Yeah. Well, I mean, though, what, like, a, uh, ideal BMI for age? I want to see how it is, because maybe it is, you know, yeah, he's, 30 he's not obese. He's just too short. Yeah, he's not 6'3". If, if he was taller, he'd be taller. Oh, he is, t- he, he is tall. I know that, because I've seen him standing next to people that I know, uh, people like Mike Lindell. Would you say Mike's like 6'1", right? I think so. Yeah, yeah he's, he's about tall. Mike's well, he, he's about six one. Now, and Trump's a couple inches taller than him, so I think hmm. Trump is six three. Hmm. I'm pretty sure he yeah, is that tall. tall. How People tall is James Comey? Do, he's like six he's like eight. seven two. Six eight. Yeah, you're right. Mm. Yeah, he is six eight. You're out six eight or nine. You're absolutely <laughs> right about that. He's a big, big guy. Speaking of going uh, no back question. to Mrs. Maisel, Jane Lynch shows up in one of the episodes, and he'll give you. Oh, oh really? Just, but, it's it's really great, but I won't tell you what role she plays. It's a uh, it's a one show uh, deal for her, but she's she's got to be six on... feet tall. Oh, she is absolutely. She is. She is, she's maybe even taller than six feet tall. We're talking about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, a terrific show. It's a really good. Alex Borstein is so good in it. It's unbelievable. Because Alex Borstein is dressed pretty much like a communist worker for the whole thing. Yeah. And every everybody thinks she's a man. <laughs> and she gets really all the great hilarious. lines too. <laughs> oh yeah. She gets all kinds of little offside jokes. She does. Uh, as a matter of fact, Heidi Becker, Doug and Heidi Becker, friends of ours, Heidi Becker told us about that show just a couple of weeks ago. I'd already been watching it. Oh, you had already been watching it? Yeah, I told you. I said, well, that's right, you I, had. I said you've got to watch. I think you would like this. Yeah, it was really, I, we've seen a few episodes now, and I really, really like it. It's done very well. And it's what I like about it, Doug, more than anything, is Mrs. Maisel really covers the comedy, stand-up comedy business realistically yeah i I, it's not all this phony stuff yep that was my impression too and i'm not a comedian obviously but you talk to people that are in the business like dave mordahl or Cy, and they tell you that's how how long it takes to develop those sets and it's just sort of trial and error and what it's like to bomb in front i mean the scenes where she bombs is just brutal oh god it's got to be very very difficult i one time at the old uh i don't even remember the name it's where the labor temple used to be 
it uh, I don't know what it's some hair cutting place now or something, but what was the name of that comedy club that was right oh, there? Oh, uh, Mickey to start Mickey there. Finn's. Mickey Finn's. That's, that's exactly on, right. That's uh, on Central Avenue, right across from where McNamara's used to be. In the Red White Owl. Castle. Everything's gone that was cool over there. <laughs> I, I know. You're absolutely right about that. That was a great era. That was a great era and an area, as a matter of fact. You can still see the Red Owl in the movie Untamed Heart because uh, he's walking down the street, and in the background you see the Red Owl, which used to be a, a grocery chain in the Twin Cities back, way, way back in the day. I think that's, but, um, that's what Super Value is. I think mm, that was started right. out as Red Owl. Anyway, I, I, no, I think you're absolutely right about that super value because Red. I thought we shopped the Red Owl. Do they still have brimful sodas like they had at the Red Owl? <laughs> I don't think that was so. like ghetto soda. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was like one penny per can or something like that. It was not real expensive. I know that Red Owl. Yes, was bought by Super Value in 1988. Oh, they bought them. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember Red Owl, so, yeah, it must no, have been a while ago. You wouldn't remember Red Owl. And no, then they phased no out the name. But I was at Mickey Finn's one night back, and then again, people like Jeff Cesario broke there, Louis Anderson's career broke there, a number of people's careers broke. Mike Gelfand used over to there. appear there, didn't he? I think so. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There was a guy on stage there, and just bombing. I mean, no reception at all. He was not even getting cat calls. People were so disinterested that they weren't even ripping him. They just sat there and stared uh, at him. And all of a sudden, he stopped and dropped his head down and went, please laugh. Oh, God, that was painful. My heart just started hurting for him. He was begging people to laugh at his jokes. Yeah, you don't oh. go into stand-up comedy because uh, you need the validation. Because you're not no. going to get validation until you're famous. No, you are not. Yeah, people don't, oh. they don't really care about the comedy so much as the fame a lot of the time, which is sad but true. Back when I was in college, yeah. one winter night, about nine of us decided to go over Dudley Riggs when it was on 28th and Hennepin. Or 20, well, it doesn't matter. And it was, it was like new comic night. And one of the guys thought it would be fun to you know, smoke illegal substances before we went there. So the problem Not with that you. plan was there was eight of us. We were the only members of the audience. It was just brand-new comedians dying for attention, and they think they're doing great, and the only reason we're laughing is because we're just higher in giraffes' asses. <laughs> so for those of you that were there in 1982, we're sorry. You really weren't that good. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, well, that, you're absolutely right. I, I actually know a person who went to New York, and he didn't say which club it was. He sat down. He was the only person in the audience, and they wanted to put the show on anyway. He said, no, 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 I'm not going to sit here by myself. Yeah. I, and he just got up and left. That would be the absolute worst to oh. perform for. Being the only person in the audience has got to be horrendous. Well, that too, because, yeah, if you're, if, like, I'm not a huge laugher, so if I, like, I was the only person in the audience, the guy would think that he's, like, the worst comedian in the universe. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you, but you, when you think something's funny, you laugh heartily. Not nearly as much as most people do. Mm, I suppose not. Some people some people are very easy to make laugh. Yes. You're, you're right about that. But yeah, if you get a chance to, to check it out, it's on Amazon Prime. It's called The Marvelous Mrs. Meisel. Uh, great people in it. They're, they're, uh, Tony Shaloub. He started out... Yeah, Tony Shaloub's in it as her father. Her father-in-law is, uh, is Kevin uh, Pollock, who's just terrific in it. They're two Jewish, old Jewish fathers in New York who pretty much do nothing in the first couple episodes but argue with each other, which is pretty funny. They're both pretty wealthy. Mm -hmm. uh, one's in the Schmata business. Uh, Kevin Pollock, uh, he's, in the, uh, he's in the clothing business, and he's always doing this, that. It's, it's a terrific show. Dave, I really... David you're, Pamer's you're in it? You're absolutely right. Yeah, that's right. David Pamer's in it. Uh, Alex Borstein, as we said, just really, really good. And Catherine, who, uh, yeah, she started watching before I did. The husband, I, I don't know what it was, but from the very first moment of that show, in the very first episode, the very first moment, I hated him. And I don't know why, because I didn't know what was coming, right? I had no idea right. what was coming, but I just didn't like that character. He was just a cocky little jerk or something I, I i don't know do you guys see him that character that way i i won't say anything because your opinion might change <laughs> as you watch more episodes okay okay well yeah don't say anything yeah 
then because I just at first I was like, eh, I don't care for this guy at all. I, I don't know what he's got going. But I do have to ask you another question because you grew up in the Boston area. Sure. You spent some time in New York City. Oh, yeah, my aunt lived there. She lived in Stuyvesant Town for 35 years. How much would those apartments have been worth even back oh, in the 50s? Man. Oh, my God. I, they're gorgeous. Oh, so, the, so those of you that haven't seen it, it's set in Manhattan in 1958. And especially right. uh, Tony Shalhoub's family, it's just gorgeous. I mean, th- that, had to, oh. that had to be a million dollars back then, and it's probably, what, $40 million today? Overlooking probably the 40, park 50 million. And, yeah, it's just yeah. stunningly beautiful. Classic six, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's yeah. still a very desirable area. I think you're absolutely right that even back in 58, that place had to cost him a million dollars. I don't think it was that much. You don't think so? No. Mm-mm. Well, I know they're selling. I, what's his? Uh, uh, Denzel Washington just bought a condo in New York for like $50 million. Or was it more than that? $50, $60 million. No, but I think you'd be surprised what prices were in New York back then. Well, I well had what a, I'm saying is. My college sweetheart grew up in Brooklyn Heights. And back in the 50s and 60s, it wasn't the neighborhood that it is now. But I asked right. her dad because he bought a four-story uh, brownstone, you know, a row house, and it's, you know, three blocks from the bridge. I mean, you'd kill to live there now. And he yeah. paid, I think, about forty-five or $50,000 for that back in the late 50s. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. What $50,000 was a lot that, of money That was back a then. lot of money. But, I mean, the place is worth, you know, millions now, and it's weird. But, yeah, I, yeah, hard to say. We could look it up. It might be kind of fun to try to figure out what those things were worth. But. Beautiful apartments. Well, I will tell you this: the one that Denzel Washington just bought for fifty—I think it was fifty million dollars. It was either fifty million dollars or more. Is nowhere near as nice as the one that Tony Shalhoub bought in the show *Mrs. Meisel*. That thing—I said a cat. I mean, this this condo, this apartment—they didn't call them condos then—but this apartment, this house, goes on forever. The rooms are gigantic. There are these long hallways. Yeah, he's, he's, got and a grand, grand he's got a grand piano in his study. Yeah, exactly. In New York City. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, man, where did you get the money to buy that thing? But so one of the thing about uh, yeah, the, if you haven't seen, give it a whirl. It's one of these things about these Amazon shows. They really spend the money on them. You know, the the new American version of Top Gear, and and you look. This is a period piece, but all the cars and all the clothes and stuff. It's just. They, they're spending the dough on these things, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, that is a great that is a great thing. No getting around that. Uh, oh, there was something else we were watching that I thought was pretty good. Mrs. Meisel was by far the best of them. But what else have we been watching? Uh. I want, I've been watching a show called The Dark, which is well, you know, you watched the first episode of Dark with me. I saw some of it. Yeah, you didn't care for it. No. Yeah, you, well, you're not a uh, you're not a what would you even call that? It's a, not a horror series. It's this kid gets kidnapped, and uh, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. I've only seen three episodes, so I don't know if I'm losing interest in it or not. I might be in, as well because I could tell by watching it with you. Catherine's body language watching TV is hilarious because you know immediately by the way she sits if she likes his show or not. <laughs> she gets very defensive if she doesn't like the show with her body language. It's yeah, hilarious. Get out. Yeah, Sarah's a little very more direct. Funny. She just stands up and says, this blows. I'm going to go upstairs and watch girl shows. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest coming up next, Stephen B. Young, Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point true north oral surgery and implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice their banker julie marshall knows the ins and outs of what they do so when they need working capital and equipment loan or funds for expansion they call julie are you looking for a banker you can count on give us a call this is tom why not bank with my banker north american banking company a better banking experience member fdic an equal housing lender Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to hanging out on the dock with family and friends. Let Flow enhance your experience with their rock-solid dock systems. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make. Flow boat lifts are a breeze to level using a cordless drill with their patented Easy Level system. Flow is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. Visit Flow at the Minnesota Sportsman Show at River Center in St. Paul, January 18th through the 21st. Be sure to ask for the show special where, with a qualified purchase, you'll receive a free three-piece furniture set 
or free wireless remote. And mention you heard this ad on KQ for an additional $50 off a dock or lift system. To find out more about Flow Systems, visit their website at floeintl.com. Flow Docks and Lifts, a better way. I, uh, I have a kid, and uh, some parents out there may relate to this. When my wife was pregnant, uh, we noticed that people get into your personal business about how you're going to raise your kid. Like, we didn't want to know the sex of the baby. We wanted to be surprised. And we would tell people, and they're like, what are you, crazy? You're going to know the sex of the baby. You've got to get the baby's room ready. I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, it's got to be pink if it's a girl and blue if it's a boy. The room, the room, the room. We live in a studio apartment. <laughs> the room's ready. You want to see the baby's room? We're in the baby's room now. I decorated it with a balloon. <laughs> Paul Mercurio, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very funny. Is Stephen ready to go? Yep. Well, Stephen that's... B. Young, our very special guy. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty well, doing pretty well, especially after that uh, Vikings uh, football game. Oh, I want to hear yeah. about it. So uh, I've been talking all week on the KQ Morning Show about I, I have... Since nine years old, been a Viking fan, and I'm sitting there watching the game with my wife. They're, they've choked it away yet again, and they have, what, ten, it's ten seconds left in the game or whatever. That was not a heave. It was not a Hail Mary. It was a beautifully thrown pass, beautifully caught by Diggs, and he runs in for the touchdown because the young man didn't wish to interfere with him and, and, and cause his team the game uh, by giving up a field goal. I... Uh, my feeling today, Wednesday, I, I can remember back in the 70s every time going to the NFC Championship game in and, and 1998 and was it 2009, and I just keep going down the NFC Championship roster, and I just go, oh, God, I'm so excited, but I'm wary. And they're using the word wary is a, a good uh, route to take because – uh, W-E-A-R, they're wearing me out, too. That team has worn me out my entire life, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, you know, Tom, the, uh, my, my, when my heart stopped was, was after Diggs gets the ball. Remember, he kind of slips and he puts his, what, his yep. left hand out, and I said, oh, well, blank, 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 blank. There it is. Guy's going to fall. He's going to, you know, he's, got, he's, got, he's caught the ball, you know, he, but, and he slipped. No, he doesn't. He keeps his balance, you know. But the, um, it is a wonderful the other, the other, sort of the, one of these things. So my son, who's um, you know just a, a you know, Vikings fan, but heartbroken too many times. And um, we moved out here in the early '80s, so we you know we missed the Big Four. But but you know he talks about you know this is a team that breaks your heart. So about with one minute left, guess what he does? He turns off the TV, oh, goes upstairs, no. says, nah. "You know they've done it to me again. They've done it to me again." You know, and and, and so my wife is screaming here sends him a text message saying, Warren, did you see it? Did you see it? <laughs> and he comes back and says, see what? <laughs> nah. so, then, so then we had to tell him by text message that this, this incredible uh, uh, event happened. But uh, no, Tom, for my, I'm not, I don't know the stuff as well as you do, but I didn't like these references to a Hail Mary because that sounds like desperation. No. If you look at, yep. you, know, you know, you look at Keenum's face, the guy is thoughtful. He's intentional, right? He, he knows what he's doing. He's putting a pass out there to one of his better guys at the right place. And uh, it worked. It did, so. and it was wonderful. And it's going to be one. I have a friend. Uh, we're going to get together. We are, at this moment, 1,200 miles apart, but we're going to get together and watch the game on Sunday because we've got a long history of watching the uh, the Vikings playoff games together. So we're going to, he's going to travel down, and it's it's going to be unbelievable. I it, It's going to be a great weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. You're not going to start drinking the, again, are you? No, why not? Come on. <laughs> I get all yeah, lit but- up. No. But I got I got to tell you, I mean, I've got I've got the jitters again. I mean, you know, what, I know. An, what an important I... championship game, and you know, it's four full quarters and lots of plays, and oy, 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 and you know, anyway. I but have the, to tell you something, the, Stephen. Yeah, the other the other ahead, comment that I think, I mean, I've seen it here, Minnesota, a little bit right afterwards. I think the commentary's gone elsewhere, but you know, never give up, right? No, uh, that's exactly you know, it. Keep Keep going, keep at whatever you're doing, uh, and never give up. And that used to be, I think, you know, so much a part of the American character. And I know stuff, Tom, is what you talk about and worry about, but it kind of bothers me that maybe we're more and more willing to kind of give up. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you might be right about that. 
Uh, Stephen B. Young and I have never met in person. As a matter of fact, uh, we've only known one another for about 10 days. <laughs> like yeah, right, right, right. But I, I became a big fan because uh, on January 6th in the Star Tribune, and, and one thing I loved immediately about the way you comport yourself is you thank the Star Tribune for printing your, your commentary in the first place, which I thought was very classy. Uh, and I congratulated the Star Tribune myself for printing the article. They did print a counter. Do you know James Lenfesti? Yeah, pretty well. Yeah, yeah. And I, he he sent me uh, he sent me a copy of one of the things his first draft. And I got back to Jim. Um, you know, I was pleased he was respectful. But I yeah I sensed I sensed and, and a lot of the I mean the other thing Tom it, it, it kind of struck me. I don't know what to make of it, but the rea- the reactions not only sort of in the in the you know the the website, you go to the comments, but the emails that came to me from various people, they split like right and left. Uh, and well, it's like yeah. every, everybody's emotional. Um, you know, where, where are people who are trying to think through things and figure out, you know, what's good for the country and how do we get along with each other? No, it's either like you're on my side and you're a great person or you're not on my side. So, so you, you've got to be just a bad person and nothing you say, therefore, is worth a darn. Uh, <laughs> and it's kind of like, well, wait a moment. What about, what about facts, right? I mean, what about, what about ideas? Some ideas are better than other ideas, you know? Do you have, yeah, do you have a way true, of yeah. talking about that, of thinking about that? Um, so, no, so, Jim, I, I went back to Jim saying, Jim, you know, I, I, yeah, you had one experience back then, but you were on kind of, that's when you moved to one side of the divide. And, and you made my no. point that the divide yeah. started around 68 and you went to one side. Um, I think you're absolutely right. It's a great point you're making that that he and I did, I thought he wrote a fine commentary. I had no problem with it. I I would tend to come down on on your side of of every argument that he had, but I, it was a well written article. But it, it kind of made your point. Uh, and I'm not I'm not ripping James at all. I don't know James Lenfesti. I read the entire article, the entire commentary, the counterpoint. I guess is the best way to yeah, put it. That's yeah, the way yeah, they yeah. put it. But I. I didn't think that your your commentary was right-leaning at all. You were just a guy who told a story about what it was like in 1968. It's exactly in, in your commentary the way I remember it, absolutely. James saw it a different way, and that's fine. But here's what I'd like to do someday is uh, is maybe what you just said. Can we talk about something where we don't have to take sides, where we go, you know, this, I like this point and I like that point, and maybe I don't agree with you on that one point, but you've made some some great observations here. Um, and we talked about that, that very thing. Uh, Stephen B. Young was on the KQ Morning Show last week, and, and we, um, we talked about uh, causation and correlation. And people, lo- by the way, Stephen, I had so much reaction to that. There's a young 27-year-old woman in Orlando, Florida, who's uh, fighting cancer. She reached out and said, uh, I don't know if she reached out to you as well, but she, she reached out and so, said no, that was yeah. one of the, oh, my God, it was, it was unbelievable. She was just stunned by by our conversation that we had. She, I don't know even why she listens to the KQ Morning Show in because she lives in Orlando, Florida. But thank God she does. But here's a 27 year old woman who's battling up a storm. I mean, she's fighting really hard. Really an impressive young woman, and she just loved uh, the fact that you you came forward and talked about what happened in six. Now I, I hate to do this to you, but. You have to tell the listening audience your past because it's rather impressive. <laughs> oh well, well it that, is. Yeah, but I've been I've been in Minnesota now so many years that you know you know we Minnesotans we're the worst thing you could do is talk about yourself, right? Um, I know. Yeah, no. But... Well, oh, so anyway, so I grew up in the East Coast. Um, what should I say? A lot of international experience from my dad, who'd actually been in China in the 1930s when he was in college, and um, he was in the Foreign Service, and he was Jack Kennedy's ambassador in Thailand. So as a teenager, I went to school in Thailand. Um, wow. Oh, there is one kind of weird thing, Tom. I don't know. Uh, so it's just kind of I think of Thailand. So anyway, so in 1966, right? I'm back in Thailand doing some field research in villages up in the Northeast for my senior thesis at, at college, and I'm on this walking down this little ravine, and I trip on a tree root, fall on my face in the dirt, and as I lift myself up, I see these round circle things in the dirt, 
and I asked Siripong, who was the oh Thai guy who was, who was helping, I said, what are these? He said, old pots. And I said, yeah, of course they're old pots. And then the question is, old pot, right? How old? Anyway, I dug up some, took them back to the museum in Bangkok, and that place is now a UNESCO World Heritage Site for having one of the oldest Bronze Age cultures in the world. Oh, and, and I found it by tripping over a tree root, right? I mean, how dumb can you get? <laughs> yeah. Now, we, we should point out your college thesis. Uh, it was a pretty decent college you were going to. I yeah, 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 yeah. I went to Harvard, This was and this was a thesis I was writing for. Uh, <laughs> some, some of your people uh, may remember your audience of, of famous professor Samuel Huntington. Uh, mm-hmm. Sam Huntington, who passed away, well, wrote some, I think, really important books on, on, on culture, and he was worried about, oh, he's the guy who came up with this concern about the clash of civilizations. Um, you know, between America and China and America and Russia and things like this. Right, right. Um, so, um, so I was doing this thesis on, on how, how people think about themselves. Um, and I was doing it for Sam Huntington, and so he was a mentor and helped me, you know, over the years. Then I volunteered for service in Vietnam, working in villages. Then I went back to Harvard to go to law school. <laughs> and I worked as a lawyer, came out to Minnesota to be dean of a law school, did that for a while, and then have worked. I, you know, tried to help some nonprofits in St. Paul. Write a couple of books. Uh, now we're we're working with a network on how do you bring together a sense of responsibility and and profit in in capitalism. How do you, how do you make capitalism something that creates growth for lots of people, but does it with a sense of of respect and responsibility? It can be done, but but it's not not easy. It's a wonderful, wonderful life that, that, that you've led. You've done so many important things. Uh, you've seen all things. I will tell you this. I thought of you on Monday, on Martin Luther King Day, because I was sitting around and I decided I would watch his, uh, his final speech. Uh, I, well, I guess it's not called a speech when you're, when you're a minister in a, in a church. It's more like a sermon yeah. than a speech. But I listened to his last sermon that he delivered before he was massacred and... Uh, April 4th, 1968, and all I I kept thinking about over and over and over again, why have we lost the content of your character part of that speech Absolutely. nobody ever brings up. Is that it's the, all I've, that matters is in that Is that the I've been to the top of the mountain speech? Yeah, Tom, I think that, that's the, the I have a dream speech, yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he may have repeated but, it later, but I think it was the I have a dream speech. No, absolutely I didn't know that right. was his last sermon. He did yeah, the he last have, he he have, final he sermon. He repeated it, but but I usually associate it with that the Lincoln uh, Lincoln Memorial. Uh, yeah, nineteen sixty three. Nineteen sixty three. Yeah, yeah. No, no. The other yeah, thing actually, for, for, uh, for me is is I was at the um, the end of the march from Selma to Montgomery in sixty five. I'd been with a small group of of some Harvard guys and. We flew down there just to sort of be part of the march, um, and um, I'm awfully, I mean, I, at the time I was, I was happy, even though I had some older relatives who were Southern, they were, I mean, that part of the family had been with the Confederacy, and they were not supporters of civil rights and Martin Luther King, but I basically said, no, this is what it says in the Declaration of Independence, this is what is true, this is what is good for the country, it's good for people, I'm, I'm going to go march. My dad was oh, so there. Mm. Really? Yeah, and he taught at Harvard. I wonder if he, he must have been the same. Wow. Who, who was your dad? Norman Sprinthal. He was a psych professor at Harvard from 64 to 7, well, till we moved out to Minnesota in 71. Yeah, so we overlap, but I didn't know him. I didn't. I, I did government stuff, so I didn't know him. Huh. I, didn't, I don't think I knew anybody in the psych department. Well, the, the most famous guy was Timothy Leary, but that's a whole nother show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My roommate, my roommate Ned Fetcher, was was with the end of the Timothy Leary. But but you know, Tom, if I can if I can bring up that brings to mind another. The only time I heard and met Timothy Leary was like I was, it was in Greenwich Village. It was like 65 or something like that, and I was dad. I went down, went home. My dad was working in New York then, and he said, "Steve, it's you and I. Let's go, you know, do something." So I said, "Wow, you know, your dad's going to take off time and just, you know, hang out with you." So somehow we were around Greenwich Village, and we saw this sign. Uh, the psychedelic stuff was just starting, you know, and it said, "You know, Dr. Timothy Leary lecturing on this and that." So I said, "Oh, Dad, let's, you know, let's go, let's go hear Timothy Leary." And he, the expression on his face was was one of you know what? What? You know, what if I said, "Yeah, okay, the kid wants to go." You know, sure, fine, let's go. So we're listening to Leary get so enthusiastic, and he had his buddy. What was his name? Ram Dass. Yeah, Dick Al- uh, Richard Alpert. Richard but he Alpert changed was it. Was playing to... the uh, the uh, sitar or something, and 
Leary's in Indian clothes, and he's talking about, and he goes on about how, you know, basically you can become a god, and you can do all these things, and your life is wonderful, and it only costs you four fifty nine, which was like the price of a tab of LSD. Well, that's that's the real, that's the reason our family's in Minnesota, because all the young psych professors, once the re- Board of Regents got pissed at, at, at Leary, Nobody got tenure track, so my dad's like, time to find another job. So here we are. <laughs> but, but I thought, Leary, you're, you're, you know, you're talking about spiritual transcendence, and as a good American, it all comes down to money, <laughs> buying it, you know? You know, you want to feel good, you spend money. It, it doesn't take, oh, he was also talking about, Tom, it doesn't take any work, right? He might have been stoned, but he wasn't stupid. He wasn't stupid. Why, why work? You just, you know, spend some money, pop a pill, life is good, right? We've got to take a very quick break, if that's all right. Stephen, yeah. you can stay with us another segment. I sure can. Wonderful. Sure can. Be, right, to, yeah. be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here. Hey, would you turn down a job that paid you thirty to $60,000 an hour? That's basically what you're doing if you don't attend the SellerWorkshop.com series this month, hosted by the Chris Lindahl team with REMAX Results. In about an hour, you'll learn how to potentially make thirty to $60,000 more on the sale of your home. Chris, why are you giving away the secret sauce? Oh, great question. If you love something, set it free, right? Seriously, I'm on a mission to help people make the money they deserve when they sell their home. Whether it's my team or someone else, the fact is the world has changed when it comes to home selling. Yet people are still doing it the traditional way and leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table. It drives you crazy when people do it wrong, doesn't it? I just hate seeing people lose money. At the SellerWorkshop.com series, you'll learn the methods we've developed at the Chris Lindahl team that have made us the number one REMAX results team in the nation. You walk out with all the tools you need to make tons more money on your next home sale, and it's totally free. The Seller Workshops are happening January 29th through the 31st. Seating is limited, and trust me, they sell out fast. Visit SellerWorkshop.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, our very special guest, Stephen B. Young. Uh, like I said, known Stephen a long time, 10 days now. <laughs> but, uh, I, I found the email that I got, Stephen. And if you don't mind uh, yeah, me no, reading please, it, please. Uh, Tom, 27-year-old Orlando, Florida resident, longtime fan here. I was in Minnesota for the past week and stoked to have, oh, that's why she was, because she was in Minnesota. Uh, stoked to have caught your show with Stephen B. Young. Couldn't agree more with just about everything he said. And also, now this is a 27-year-old woman uh, from Orlando, Florida. Uh, everything he said, and also that is so rare to come across other people who are just plain reasonable. That's what caught me. And, and so I'm a little older than 27, and I'm a man. But that is exactly my impression of your article. You were so reasonable uh, in that article. I can wholeheartedly relate to that, especially as a millennial and one who was involved in action sports. She does a lot of wakeboarding. Uh, entertainment TV industries, both generally very liberal. If you find a reasonable millennial, please send them my way. While I am fiscally very conservative, I consider myself socially moderate. Uh, if not liberal on certain points. However, unless I am full-blown liberal on every topic and agree with the raging left on all, and I mean all issues, none of my opinions, even the ones on which we agree, matter. It's lonely out here in conservative-slash-moderate millennial land. Though it was hard to choose, my favorite quote from Mr. Young's article was, the deep cultural indictment expressed by these tragedies and conflicts was and is an accusation that victimization, not equality of opportunity, is the ultimate American truth. My entire life, I've lived that... uh, uh, She's been disgusted by the society's rapacious desire for sympathy. Being a female cancer patient who grew up in a single-parent household in rural Minnesota... I've had many an opportunity to feel victimized, though have never felt like one, nor wanted to be seen as one. My experience has led me to believe 
that the core of our society's issue comes down to the lack of two things, dignity and self-control. And then she goes on and on about how wonderful you are, but I don't know if you want to hear that or not. No, 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 not today. Let me get depressed and I'll call you up. <laughs> 27 years old, that's, a woman, that's, that's a reassuring. cancer patient. That's really reassuring. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful letter? But, but Tom, what I heard in there is she grew up in a, what she say, a rural Minnesota? Yeah, rural Minnesota. You know, if you're a millennial and you grew up in any of our big cities, probably not think the way she thinks. Yeah, I mean, we have a, a little bit of brainwashing going on. Yeah, a little bit, mm, absolutely. Mm, mm. Uh, Catherine is on the show with me. My, my lovely wife is with us, and Hello. our son Andy is here. Our daughter Alex is usually on the show. Andy's 31. Alex will be 29 in a couple of weeks. And they tend to be conservative. They're, what exactly what uh, Alexa Score is that woman's name, by the way, Alexa Score. What Alexa said is kind of the way Andy, wouldn't you say, Andy, you agree with most of what Alexa said, didn't you? Yeah. And Andy's only 31 years old. Uh, and he didn't grow up in a household that was very conservative or very liberal. It just was what it was. I did grow up in rural Minnesota, though. But that's yeah, true. You did grow up in rural Minnesota, in Dayton, Minnesota. We we still own the farm, as a matter of fact. So is that what it is? It's just if you're you grew up in the uh, in the inner city, you tend to be these days anyway, much more liberal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, that's, that, I mean, that that, I mean, that, that's my sense, and and. Um, I mean, this trespasses um, into politics and the election, you know, last year and the one coming up this year, uh, or the 216 election. I mean, I remember reading, Tom, there was, and I don't hold me to the specifics, but uh, somebody did some, some analysis, data analysis of, of Hillary Clinton voters in, in Los Angeles. And by looking at different precincts and the number of votes, they concluded that four out of five Hillary Clinton voters in the urban areas of Los Angeles never knew anybody who voted for Trump. In other words, we're, we're, we're dividing into these, into these like yeah. completely different nations. Um, and so where you live, where you grow up is, you know, are you really thinking for yourself these days? Or are you just kind of channeling, you know, um, uh, of some sort of... Uh, other culture, and it kind of takes you over. You know, Stephen, I consider myself to be a centrist. Uh, I really do. But it's so so funny because the media is so far to the left in, in uh, Minnesota. They, they literally think I'm Rush Limbaugh. They really do think <laughs> I'm that conservative and that I just am going to take the right side of everything, and that's, just, and that's not even close to being true. Doug, now, Doug went to McAllister. Doug Sprinthal is the man who's, who you were talking to there, father was a professor at Harvard. Doug, you're, you would consider yourself... I See, I don't see you as a far-left liberal. No, I, I'm socially liberal and financially conservative, which is a weird combination. I think me and JB might be the only people like that in the world. I think there's well, a well, lot I don't, uh, I don't know, Doug. I mean, you think. Did, did, were you here when Jesse Ventura was our governor? Oh, yeah. No, I've been here since seven, the winter of 71. Yeah, yeah okay. I so, remember. I mean, Jesse used to define himself... He tried to define himself as a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um... And what when he when he won he got what thirty thirty seven percent of the vote you know, and the and the it, Republican yeah. got twenty seven and the Democrat got twenty five in other words he was able to pull together a lot of kind of common sense people but then I guess his ego took over and he never really did anything yeah this with is it. all Tom's fault you do get that <laughs> oh, okay. he was the guy right, that Tom. yucked it up and oh let's have Jesse Ventura for go blah 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 so then we wind up with Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and Tom yeah. Franken and it's, Donald it's all, it's Trump all my fault. it's all because of you so one of the few things I don't like about you Tom just so you know <laughs> Dude, well that's really nice to hear Doug well, you know, hey, Ronald like Reagan happened first. Yeah, yeah, that's Ronald true. Reagan started it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ronald Reagan is the one Good who changed point, everything. Andy, I guess you're right. You're, you're, abs- you're absolutely right about that. But at least Ronald but Reagan I, I, was smart. Anyway, let's. This is, we're going to. I'm going to sidetrack this entire conversation. That's not where we. Should no, be. you're not. No, you're not. Uh, Stephen, I have to ask you a question. Uh, in, in the past ten days, first of all, when when people found out that you were you were actually going to appear on the on the morning show, and then. On the afternoon show, did you everyone go, oh, I don't know if I'd do that if I were you, Stephen? People are terrified that I'm going to do something to them. No, I no, actually, uh, but this, I don't know what this means, but um, I got to, I mean, I um, should not should not put the name out over the air or something, but no, that's fine. two yeah, very, that's fine. two very, very important people in Minnesota, and important to me, they're in the business community and things like that, were listening to the show. <laughs> so, 
So after I got off the show, I got like two emails saying, wow, you know, fantastic you were on there, really liked what you had to say. So I'm thinking, hmm, Tom Bernard's got, got a good demographic. <laughs> <laughs> there's an article out there, and I thanked our listeners this morning. Uh, there's an article, a national article about the show that uh, just came out a couple of days ago. And uh, I've been very, very lucky. I, look, I grew up in North Minneapolis, as I told you, on, on, on Plymouth Avenue and then West Broadway later on in life. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to have become successful in my hometown, and the, the show's been on for 32 years now, and it's, it's done very, very well. But the only scary thing about that is that now that it, there's kind of a national, more national focus on the show because of... I, I was lucky enough. I got in the National Radio Hall of Fame last November. It was very, very nice uh, a thing to happen. But I keep forgetting now that when I say things, they appear in national national print, which I'm reading this article. And in the article, the guy asked me, what did you think of, of Al Franken's situation with the sexual harassment? And I said, well, I can't really give you an opinion on that. And he said, well, why can't you give me an opinion? I said... I, I have a personal feeling about about Al Franken, and I think when you have deep feelings about anyone personally, you really shouldn't give a professional opinion on what has happened to them or what should have happened to them. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I've known Al Franken for quite some time, and he's a flaming prick. <laughs> and it well, appeared yeah. in national print. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you don't have an opinion. Yeah, right. right. I don't have an opinion. <laughs> I, but I read that and went, oh, my God, that, that looks really weird in a national article. So I, I, I have to learn to kind of control that, I think. But um, it's just one of those situations. I, I just the, the thing about people like Al Frank and I don't like is they have one view of everything. Uh, he went to Harvard as well. He was another Harvard graduate. He's a very smart guy, very well spoken. But he just he is so locked in. And is that the, the, the problem, Stephen? Uh, Doug, I'm asking you the same the same question. Are we just so locked in on our opinions that we just can't hear anything else, I, see I, anything else? I do think that part of the problem, especially with the, the federal government, is that the, a lot of the, the Democrats and the senators and the Republicans are treating this like a football game, where the oh, theory yep. is that the uh, best Democrat is uh, better than the – I've got this backwards – the worst Republican is better than the best Democrat. It's like there's really smart people in both parties. The job is to yep. run the country, not to win a football game. And I think that's where we get off track. Well, uh, Tom, one of the uh, things that's kind of been coming to my mind since the piece came out and looking at the responses, and the thing that bothered me about, frankly, a little bit on both sides, but particularly the responses from the left, is no thought. It's all emotions, and it's all uh judging you. If you're a good person, then I'm going to, you know, I take what you say is good. If you're a bad person, nothing you say can be right or true or good, and I don't have to open up my mind. So then what are they using to decide whether I'm a good person or a bad person? And so there was a couple of letters in the Star Tribune by people uh, who are women, I assume from their names, who were sort of taking me down because of white privilege and I'm a white male. Well, then I, and I had this weird thought in the shower. So how do they know I'm white? Um, right? They yeah, read my name, right. Stephen B. Young. How do they know I'm white? Isn't it logically possible? And I want to go in this to, like, how do you learn how to think? Isn't it logically possible that I'm a cousin of either Andrew Young, you know, the great civil rights leader, or Whitney Young, uh, right. the great civil, who is a friend of my dad's, actually, um, so just because you see a name, Young, you can't guess, you know, this. but if they assume, they then go to this jump that I'm a male and I'm white, and so therefore I'm wrapped up in white privilege and I'm against progressive forces, and, and that's why I say what I do. And I'm thinking, that's stupid. Uh, there's, no, there's no real right. thought process there. And then I'm thinking, are we actually teaching Americans these days? You know, how to think. We used to, When you and I were growing up, I think you said when you were, went to a Catholic school, um, I've been yep. rethinking my law school education because in first-year law school, and I was a dean, a professor, what we try to do in law school, and a lot of people don't like it because they say, you never tell us what's right or what's wrong. And we say, no, no, that's not the objective. The objective is to get you to use your mind. What are the facts? What are the arguments? What are good facts? What are bad facts? What's a good argument? What's a sloppy argument? So that no matter who you're listening to, you know, you're kind of like 
reaching out to that person and saying, okay, he or she is making this point, but they don't have any facts, or he or she has got inconsistent facts, or he or she, um, they, there's no logic there. One, one sentence doesn't follow from the other. But in reading the stuff in the national press, um, particularly the Washington Post these days, um, I, I don't get any thought process coming through. I don't know what you guys think. I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of that is due to the fact that um, younger people tend to lean more left, and younger people also tend to think like that. So by default, the left is going to have more of that going on because that's, you know, what all the college students are thinking. And that's they'll respond? Yeah. I think think, uh, if you take your average, you know, like 40-year-old, regardless of what side they're on, they're going to be a lot... Um, in similar um, camps of, you know, how reasonable they are. But, uh, like, if you take uh, both sides in in their entirety, the left is a lot younger than the right, and so, you know, there's just less going on up there. I don't know about that. I I think there's more young conservatives now, certainly than when I was coming of age in the 70s and and early 80s. I mean, you, Tom, you're a little bit older than me, but, I mean, how many... 20-year-old uh, conservatives did you know in, you know, 1975? Mm, yeah, that's true. Not a lot. Well, what I think is happening is that everybody's operating from an emotional standpoint and not thought. That's what's happening. Everybody's just knee-jerk reactions to their emotions. Absolutely. Oh, you're full of it. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. you that, I'm joking, Catherine. Yeah, but that's the way, that's the way, that's the way I see it, Catherine. It's, it's something yeah. about uh, too much emotion shoving thought and discussion and you know, out of the picture. And, and what I also sense around me is, you know, when emotions are, are high and strong, you like to just band with people who share the same emotions. It's like, right. it's like the stress mentality. level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 you, you, seek, you seek comfort. You don't, you don't seek intellectual or, or challenges. I think it's amazing. The, the one thing that I want someone to answer for me is it's a wonderful idea to eradicate racism in the world, in America, for sure. But how is it okay to hate white men if you're trying to eradicate racism? It's all our fault. I mean, you know if, that. But they think that white American men actually invented slavery? Are they insane? Yeah, the, yeah. They want to ask Jews about the. They don't know. Yeah, I mean, and but again, we, we're we're at such a, a point that if you're a white male, it's 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 not correct. It's very awkward to kind of come up with just facts and arguments that that contest uh, the, the 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 derogatory uh, stereotypes that are being thrown at you. The the, um, the the Monty Python did a brilliant send up of this in the life of Brian when they're having the meeting of the counterculture and and one of the guys says stands up and says what have the romans ever done for us i think it was john cleese and and, and then they start it well was, they yeah built the roads and they built the viaduct and the libraries and <laughs> it's really fun yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good memory that's, i remember that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. steven uh far too fast this interview went this, this visit, I should say, it's not an interview. This visit went far too quickly. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to annoy you like there's no tomorrow for the rest of your life because I love talking to you, and I will reach out again very soon. Reach, reach out again, keep in touch, and we'll meet one of these days. And Catherine, yeah, nice to meet you, and Doug, to, uh, and the others. It's Great. a pleasure. Keep up Thank the you. good work. Nice to meet you, too. Thank you, sir. Okay, bye-bye. Stephen B. Young, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back, Tom Bernard Show.